As you see, Matthew chapter 13, one verse, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, which when a man has found, he hides and for joy goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. Father, I am believing, God, that you will illuminate my mind and my spirit to be able to effectively bring forth your word, and God, certainly up to your Holy Spirit to dive that word into each and every person's heart, and Lord, that it would take root and grow. We're praying, Lord, for Gabby's boyfriend, that you would guide the doctor's hands and and bless during that surgery, and we're praying for Sister Othalie, that you would minister to her and help us as a church minister to them. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name we ask and pray, amen. I always like to tag a message or a sermon with a title. Today's title is Finding Hidden Treasure. Every year people ask me, it's not a question I really like, every year people ask me about, preacher, what's our, what's our vision? What's the church's vision for this year? And I, uh, well, somebody told me recently that uh, uh, God laughs at man's plans. Well, that very well could be. But uh, most churches have some type of a uh, five-year plan, 10-year plan, we've really never been that way because I'm really not that way. But um, from time to time, there have been things that just stirs within me that I know that we're supposed to do. But um, Steve Upchurch earlier in the year asked me, Preacher, what's the, what's the vision for this year? And Joe DiMaggio recently asked me, what's the vision for 2014? The more I think about that, my vision for 2014 is to find Grandma Dorothy a husband. There's, uh, now, her birthday will be Flag Day, and she's going to be 90. 90. But my vision for this church, the overall sum of this, could most people, if you think of it very long, you'd figure it out, it's reach, teach, and serve. And if we can do that and continue doing that in whatever uh, we're trying to do and always have that as our emphasis and as our goal, that we're going to lift up Jesus, and in that we're going to reach, teach, and serve, I believe God will bless what we're doing. In, in this same chapter, in verse 23, and he uses this verse, he uses these words twice, he that hears the word and understands it. That's why I really, as long as, as long as I'm the one doing the preaching here, you're never going to hear some real deep, deep sermons. Because I don't think that's what's I don't, number one, I don't think that's how God made me. Number two, when I look at the teachings of Jesus, they wasn't real deep sermons. 
everybody understood him. So much so that the, the poor and the oppressed, they were glad to hear that message, and it brought them hope. And the Pharisees and Sadducees heard the same kind of message, and they were incensed by that message. His words offend me. But it was plain enough for everybody that heard, they understood. And my dad gave me one of the greatest compliments that I've ever received. He said, Mark, whether someone's eight or 98, they can understand what you're trying to get across. And I think that's an awfully good compliment. I want to add this. I just thought of this. Uh, this week on a Tuesday, they had a memorial service for Jerry Young. I wasn't able to be there. Jerry, me and him graduated the same year of school. Um, I, I wasn't, wasn't really a real good friend, or I just knew Jerry, knew who he was. My brother knew him better than I did. And uh, Greg went to that memorial service. The preacher had a miscommunication with the funeral home director, and he didn't get there. So the family asked Greg to speak, and he spoke, and the family, they ate it up. <laughs> so Greg just, yeah, that's, God's opening some doors there. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of dovetails into this very first point about don't throw away opportunities when they arise. There are three things concerning with the disciples, most of them, a lot of them being fishermen. The Bible says that they were mending their nets. Another time it says they were cleaning their nets. And another time they were folding their nets. In doing those, each one of those means something. In mending their nets, think of this in the gospel. Think of this in the church work. Think of this in going to church with someone. There's always going to be times that mended, that things that are broken have got to be fixed, things that's been torn have got to be fixed, things that have tears or rips in them, they've got to be fixed. I mean, if you're, if you're doing something in ministry alongside someone in this church, sooner or later, you're going to have a disagreement, you're not going to get along or whatever it is. You've got to be able to fix that torn relationship. There is in the book of Philippians chapter 4, uh, uh, Paul says, he mentions these two women by name, and he said, I beseech you girls, get this worked out. Because he knows how important the gospel is, and we've all got to work together to get this thing done. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, that the relationship of these two women must be mended. And then in cleaning the net, Churches are real good at starting new activities. Not so good about putting those same activities to rest when they're over and done with. And that's something that we talk about occasionally here at this church in different staff meetings that we have. That if something no longer works, it's not right to continue doing it just because that's how it's always been done. Well, we've been doing that since Jimmy Carter was president. That's not the reason to continue. And if you don't think that we change things up around here, you ain't been here long enough, because sooner or later, these pallets are gone and something else comes in. 
And the same thing with any kind of ministry. If it's not working or if it's just maybe it's running its course and things do that from time to time. There ain't none of us. You ain't driving the same car you were driving back in the 70s. You don't have that El Camino. You don't have, you ain't driving that Mercury Cougar where you turn the blinks on and, and blinkers, they go one, two, three, one, two, three. That was the coolest thing ever. One, two, three. You ain't wearing the same clothes, I don't think. So there's times that, there are times that you change things up, and I think that's a good thing. House cleaning, we do that around here. And then folding the net. It's not folding the net as in now they're, just, they're, they're packing up and they're closing shop. No, they fold the net in a certain way so that on a dime, when it was time to fish again, they could take that net and they would have a rope on one hand around the wrist and they was able to throw that out. And how it was folded, it unfurled just right to be able to land out there into the Sea of Galilee to catch more fish. We as a church need to be ready right now, right now, right now, when it comes to reaching somebody for Jesus, starting up something, uh, honing something, whatever it is, so that we can effectively throw that net out there and people's going to be one. Don't overlook opportunities. Moffat's translation says this about Jesus. Jesus noticed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It doesn't say that Simon Peter noticed his mother-in-law. Jesus noticed. None of the other disciples noticed. It wasn't her own daughter noticed that she had a physical need. Jesus noticed Simon Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. Remember years ago, and it was on a winter, because in the wintertime, Kay worked puzzles, and we lived over here uh, in the log house at that time, and Rick Stratton had been preaching, and one night after service was over, he went to the house, and, and he was like a cat on a hot tin roof. He, uh, he'd stay there for five or ten minutes, and he was gone. But uh, he, it always shocked people that he came over to our house and even, and even talked with us. Because about any other place where he went and did uh, ministry and did revivals, as soon as revival was over, he got in his car and he went home or to his hotel, wherever it was, because he preached here, Iowa, Indiana, all, Missouri, all over. But he'd come to, he got to where he, we'd, he enjoyed coming to our house, and he got to where he stayed longer and longer and longer. But at one time, Kay was working a puzzle. He went over, and he looked at the puzzle, and then he left. Uh, during the course of that week, Kay finished the puzzle except for one piece. <laughs> And about two months later, I seen Rick, and Rick, he said, uh, I got something to give you. It's of great importance. And he reached for his billfold, and I'm thinking, this guy don't give money away. I don't know what's going on here. He reaches into his billfold and opens it up, and there was that one piece, that puzzle. Because I bet Kay wants that, don't she? That one piece. Just a puzzle piece, one of a thousand. But look how important that one piece became. Let me pull out my billfold. I got a $20 bill right here. That $20 bill, it's just a $20 bill, but here's the thing. I could spit on that $20 bill. 
I can still take that thing somewhere and it's going to buy me something, right? I can crumble this thing up and it's still going to be able to buy something. It'll go through the wash, the washing machine and come out and it's still going to be able to buy something. I could do this and that's against the law. But you could put that together and it's still going to buy something. I could do this and, and jump on it. And it's still going to buy something, right? No matter how dirty it gets, no matter what it looks like, everybody here knows the value of the $20 bill that it will not decrease, it will, it will stay the same, and that thing can be spent, and you can go buy something at Walmart. God, we, we may give up on people. God never does. There may be people, they've been ripped and torn in two and spit upon and drugged through the dirt, and we would think that are no good for anybody, but God looks at them the same way we would look at that $20 bill. There's value, there is worth. That person is worth something. How important that piece is. Pastor, what's the meaning of this parable? We found out Wednesday night that a parable is an earthly story with what kind of a meaning? A heavenly meaning. Perhaps the meaning of this story is that the man is Jesus and the treasure, that's the church, and the field is the world. It could be. I'm not no, cert, so certain of that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hidden in the field, which when a man is found, he hides and for joy thereof, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. With every treasure, there is a field. And within every field, there are mice and snakes, and bugs, and worms, and skunks, and rabbits, and old spare tires, and tin cans, and just junk. So when a guy, he want, one thing, he wants that treasure, but listen, within that field, there's a whole lot of stuff. When I was thinking about this, I had one person, for whatever reason, one person came to my mind, and I just said to myself, David Eads has a field. Skunk, <laughs> spare tire. And I know his wife could add on. <laughs> I refuse to throw away the treasure that is David Eads because he has a field. Rhonda Tucker. She says, I am a procrastinator. We've had problems finding the right church in Florida. We've been in 
two cold churches, rowdy churches, and in-between churches. Finally, this year, connected with the right church. Not as great as Orchardville, but good. It, I, it never starts on time, though, and babies cry, and evidently some of the older adults don't enjoy the music because they talk during the singing. I thought to myself, when I get home, I'm going to thank Pastor Mark for his discipline. Six months later, I still had not followed through with that thought. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for your discipline. Thanks for encouraging worship, but not letting the service turn into a circus sideshow. Thank you for protection from false prophets. Example, every year I have a family vacation or a family Christmas. For 30 years, I have made all the kids something creative. Now, Christmas happens every year, same time. I've got 12 months to get these things done, yet I'm always up the night before in high action with glue and paint flying, trying to get things done for 25 kids. I tell myself I work best under pressure, but the truth is I'm a procrastinator. She has a field. And yet, I am not going to throw away Rhonda Tucker, the treasure that she is, because in her field, there's procrastination. Ain't that right, Don? That's right. I asked the church staff. I said, the Bible talks about praying one for another and also says, confess your faults one to another. It doesn't say confess your sins, but it does say confess your faults. And I said, and I'll write these down. I'm going to use them Sunday. And not all of them, not all of them spoke up. Only eight of them did. The others, I guess, are perfect. <laughs> Adam Harold is too critical. But I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Adam Harold because he has a field. Justine Loker has road rage issues. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Justine Loker because she has a field. Jennifer Upchurch said that she has had to deal with gluttony. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Jennifer Upchurch because she has a field. Lori Camp is too impatient. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Lori Camp because she has a field. Brian Fuller said sometimes he is lazy. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Brian Fuller because he has a field. Stephen Lacey is insensitive. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Stephen Lacey because he has a field. Rebecca West at times speaks doubt. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Rebecca West because she has a field. Logan Hackworth becomes envious at times. I refuse to throw away the treasure that is Logan Hackworth because he has a field. Kay Shell has a field. <laughs> Sometimes it's great to be pastor. She is either all or she is nothing. 
She is either cleaning the house like a whirling dervish, or she's sound asleep on the couch. No in-betweens. She cannot figure out how which end for that toothpaste, how you're supposed to do that, that tube on that toothpaste. I don't know how. She does not know how to put the, the toilet paper on the roller. There is a correct way. And for all of you saying, well, it's from the bottom, you, you've just sold out to the man because every toilet paper industry, that's the way they want you to put it on because more of it automatically rolls out. You learned that today. <laughs> and I choose not to, to wax eloquent and to go on and on and on in this vein. But I got one more thing to say. And now I'm training myself after all these years. The moment I open up the refrigerator, and no matter what jar I'm going for, it's a two-handed operation. Because she, for whatever she cannot screw the lid back on. <laughs> the times with a pickle jar, and it's been, oh, 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 got it. <laughs> Saved. God forbid, God forbid that Kay pass away and go to heaven before I do. God forbid. But if it happens, I've already made up my mind. I'm going to talk to the funeral director and say, don't put the casket lid down tight. Just leave a little bit of it <laughs> open. <laughs> just, for, just for payback. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard the story, Acres of Diamonds? A few. Acres of diamonds, this happened back in the 1880s. Uh, Russell Conwell, pastor of a church uh, in Philadelphia. At that time, the name of that church was different. I don't remember now exactly what that was. Later on, it was renamed. But uh, Russell Conwell went on a missions trip to Africa. And while he was there in Africa, the tour guide told him a fascinating story. The story that he told him, he put in book form, and acres of diamonds back in the 1880s sold seven million dollars worth of copies. And they built Temple Church there in Philadelphia, there to this day, Temple Hospital, and started Temple University with that money that was given off of that book. And the story that he was told was of a man in South Africa that it just, it was the wanderlust of finding diamonds. This man had heard a story about someone had gotten rich finding diamonds, and, and it just overtook him. And I've got to find diamonds. And he, he looked locally, and then he decided that he would sell his farm. And he sold his farm, 
And he went looking throughout South Africa and in either, even in other places in Af- located in Africa, outside of South Africa. From there, he traveled to India and looked for diamonds there. And then from there, he traveled all the way west towards Spain and looked for diamonds there until he was totally bankrupt and had found nothing. And he was on top of a huge cliff overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, and he jumped in and drowned. Because he knew he had left his family penniless. He had spent all looking for diamonds. And the man that bought the acreage, which was a substantial-sized farm there in Kimberley, South Africa. That man used the same plow, had the same wheelbarrow, he lived in the same house, he had the same picks. And one day the Catholic priest went to visit this man that had bought this substantial sized farm. And as they're talking, as the Catholic priest was walking toward the mantle, that was there in the living room, he asked the man, what's this black rock? And the guy shrugged his shoulders. I don't know, I just found it out in my backyard. And the Catholic priest told him, before I became a priest, I was a jeweler. That's a diamond. And he said, are there others? And this is the guy's response. There are acres of those. That, those diamonds in that man's backyard comprise many of the crown jewels of England and most of the crown jewels of Russia. And right now, 2014, and they've owned it for years and years and years, De Beers. De Beers Diamond Mine has been located there in Kimberley, South Africa, and there have been more diamonds in the last hundred plus years mined from that area than any other place in the world. And it was there in the guy's backyard, and he wanted it so bad. He wanted it so bad, and it was there all along. I want to give you one more thing, and I quit. When I, when I think of a field, and I can talk about Mark Miller's field, I can talk about George Thomason's field, and when I go like this, I've got one, two, three. I got three fingers pointing right back at me. Everybody's got a field, and everybody's got things in their field. But you know what? God says there's a treasure there, too. You know that there was a man that lived on this earth that he had no field. There's not one thing you could find wrong with him. His name was Jesus. And I mentioned, just maybe it was last week, not in the sermon, but before the sermon began about how that 
Paul the apostle, the man of the great intellect, he says, Jesus who knew no sin. And Simon Peter, the man of great action, said Jesus did no sin. And John the beloved, John the revelator, the man of deep feeling and deep thought and deep emotions, he said there was no sin found within the Lord Jesus. So if we all could nitpick each other to death and we all could find fault in one another, God says find the treasure that's there. Because every one of us has a value, just like God knows. We all know that 20 is a value. God knows we are all of value. Yeah, young people, I ain't forgot that it's over there. Don't be, <laughs> don't be think anything. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I... <clears throat> I stand this day thanking you and praising you, dear God, that you didn't throw me away, but you said there's value in that young man. And God, you're saying the same thing for every person that's here today. There's value in that person. And I'm praying, God, that by your Holy Spirit that you would draw people to your side this day Lord, maybe there's a call upon someone's life that you're speaking to them right now. Maybe, Lord, you're calling them into full-time ministry. <clears throat> there could be a young person here today that you're speaking to them about uh, being, being full-time in your work. God, that you would draw them. Lord God, that they would make that, uh, you would make that known in their life and that they would readily accept that and start moving in that direction. Maybe there's somebody here today that They've never asked Jesus to be Savior and Lord in their life. God, we ask and pray that by your Holy Spirit, you make it real. This man that has no field, this man that has nothing wrong, this man that there is nothing <clears throat> wrong found within him, but he and he alone is the one that can save. Lord, perhaps there are people here that are going through things, and they just need your holy hand and holy help. God, that you would speak to them, draw them, and Lord, I know that there will be other Christians that would pray with them. Speak to each and every heart. God, may an inspection be done of each and every life. In Jesus' name, amen. My only hope The reason I can stand Comes from the blood that flows from Dilpist hand. And I will not fear, for you will never change. Bow at the cross. Cross that bears your day.
It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.